things are coming out right now about how universities, uh, you don't get published anymore unless you sway it a certain way. I mean, not, not even like factual things. You know what I mean? If you're not, if you're not toting the line, you don't get published. If you're not toting the line of, of whatever it is that, that you don't progress. So it's almost like a coerced, (laughs) it's a coerced, uh, system, right? It's coercion. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad you brought it up because I, yeah, I mean, it's a huge problem, um, at least in, in my field. So you have fields like medicine and biophysical sciences. I'm not familiar with those, but, you know, you have a lot of academics that come up with inventions and, you know, new medicine and all, you know, so that's really good. But in social science, yeah, like you have to be, there's a big emphasis on creativity. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Today I am talking to Roxandra Papavici, right? Is that, is that, did I say that right? Yeah, no, that's a, you did a good job. All right. Um, she is uh, here to talk about a bottom that she had in her life when she was a uh, trying to complete her PhD at Duke University. And, uh, you know, she had some issues there, and I, I'd like to hear from, from Roxandra. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you, Sean? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Trying to get through this uh, situation that we're in. Yep. Doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. I know. I know. They've just extended it. I'm supposed to work remotely until August now. Wow. Well, yeah, you're yeah. you're in the, you're in the education field. So, I mean, that's uh, you know, schools and and you know from elementary all the way through university. I mean, right. They're going to, I don't know if, if this is going to get, they're going to rethink how, how school is actually done now. I know. Yeah. I mean, part of me thinks, is this how, you know, people in the future are going to be living all isolated and just online? I mean, I hope not. You yeah, know? me neither. I like, I like physical touch and I, and I like I know. being able to have people in front of me and, and having a conversation and, you know, I mean, this is okay too. It's the same. I mean, it's way right. better than just being on on the on a phone or a or an audio podcast. You know, it, it, yeah. I, I find it easier for me to do a podcast this way than mm-hmm. just when when there's nothing because you can't see you can't see a person's expression. I mean, it's the closest thing yeah. that you're going to have to an in person conversation because the nuance of of what you're trying to say, you know, a lot mm-hmm. gets lost in the translation when someone can't see what see you when you're communicating. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, a lot of the really great people that I want to connect with are not in my city because I live in a tiny city. So video definitely helps. 
Right on. Well, so tell me about your tell me about the bottom that you hit in your life. Uh, you know, I don't Duke University. That's a pretty prestigious college. Yeah, it is. It's really prestigious, especially for undergrad. It's really tough to get into. When you do a PhD, it's basically contact what they call a potential advisor. So it's a professor that is willing to kind of sponsor you and be your mentor. So you can get in based on, of course, you need to have really good credentials, but you need to have someone who's willing to work with you. So I, I found uh, my mentor. And I was actually her first PhD student. So she was, you know, she was very, a very good person, but she was also very inexperienced. So I had a bit of a crisis about two years. So my PhD program was five years. And about two years into it, I had, I got really confused. So I had lost, I don't know if I was depressed. Like, I don't know. I never got, you know, I never looked into it. But I just lost that willingness, that drive to do my work, basically. So, and then I felt like, so you, when you have a P, when you're doing a PhD, you have a committee. So it's not just your mentor, but you have maybe like three or four other professors that advise you. And I felt like those other professors kind of turned against me. And they just were able to sniff me out something like something had changed in me. And then it alerted them. And they're like, oh, she's not, she's not, uh, she's not ready. Like we're giving up hope on her. So no, I had situations where no matter how hard, so I went to see these professors to say, hey, because what you do in your PhD, you're supposed to defend. So you're supposed to come up with a proposal where you like you defend your ideas mm-hmm. to in front of your your committee. So it's not like your final dissertation, but it's like a proposal. This is what I want to study. So um, no matter what I came up with, they were saying, uh, no, that's very, I mean, they were using the word biased. Oh, that's very biased. This is not proper research. You need to like go off and try something else. And I just kept trying and trying. And it's like the most, the more that I tried, the more they were disapproving of me and my research. So, and it reached a point where I, I mean, one of the professors was like, yeah, I'm not going to pass her. So, um, and I, and they would never tell this to me, to my face. I would always find out through other people what they really thought. And then some of the professors were having conversations about me on the phone. But then when I would request meetings with them, they would say, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to give you advice. So it was just this very weird situation because I'm like, hmm, I'm doing all the right things. I have all the credentials. I'm doing everything right on paper, but how come I'm not successful anymore? And then at the same time, I was, I was going through a divorce with my ex-husband. We were, we were you know, going through a separation and it's almost like everything came crashing down at the same time. And yeah, so that was, that was my bottom. Like it was just, I could not really fully understand. And I mean, I can, you know, I can pause and let you ask questions, but what I'd like to talk about with your, your listeners is like, I'm trying to understand myself, like how this happened. Cause it's almost like one day I woke up and I'm like, what I'm getting kicked out of my program. 
this is so crazy. And then the other thing I want to talk about is, well, what steps I took to, you know, get myself out of it. So what kind of a researcher are you? I'm a social scientist. At Duke, I was doing research in Mexico. So I traveled all over the country doing interviews with forest owners. Because in Mexico, a lot of people, they, in rural areas, they own forests in common. So it's like a village will also be a landowner for forests. Mm -hmm. And the government in Mexico was setting up a fund to pay landowners to conserve the forest. So I was researching, I was doing an evaluation of those programs, like if it works and, and if they don't work. So some of the things that are, are um, we're going to, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, get into what you're, you're, you wanted to talk about, but I mean, and it, sure. where we're at right now, kind of societally and, and everything with uh, things are coming out right now about how universities, uh, you don't get published mm-hmm. anymore unless you sway it a certain way. And, and, and I mean, not, not even like fact, factual things you know what i mean if you're not if you're not toting the line you don't get published mm-hmm. if you're not toting the line of of whatever it is that that don't yeah. you don't progress yeah. so it's almost like a coerced <laughs> it's a coerced uh system right it's coercion oh my gosh yeah i mean i'm really glad you brought it up because i yeah i mean it's a huge problem um at least in in my field so you have fields like medicine and biophysical sciences. I'm not familiar with those, but, you know, you have a lot of academics that come up with inventions and, you know, new medicine and all, you know, uh, so that's really good. But in social science, yeah, like you have to be, there's a bit emphasis on creativity, which is not a bad thing in theory. Like creativity is to be encouraged, but you, yeah, to publish, you have to demonstrate how all the previous studies are like basically like I don't know you're going beyond them Mm -hmm. so you're like oh my research is different and you use that the my problem is that you use uh you demonstrate that difference using language so it doesn't mean anything there's no like measure to say like how your research is really different from previous research but that's what's emphasized So you can't focus on problem solving in the real world. So you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to like try to apply this thing into a different context and see if it works. You're going to get published in a lower ranked journal, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to be more creative, um, like theoretically. So you have to come up with a, I don't know, like, for example, uh, people in political science, they come up with new models for voter behavior. Uh, like how people vote and they come up with a new model that's slightly tweaked from the previous models, but none of them really worked because if one of these models actually worked, we would be using it to predict all the, you know, how we vote and everybody that gets elected, but they're not able to do that. And yet it's a huge, it's a huge industry. Like it attracts like funding and research and students. Yeah. So I'm a bit, and I think that's, kind of why I became a little bit disillusioned with my like with my program because I'm like well I just don't have this like grand theory that I have to you know to propose so so basically but then I 
you know, like it, it, it all worked out. So I came yeah. up with something that was original enough to be able to pass as like a PhD dissertation. Yeah. I, I, there's some things but that are basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just gonna say, there's some things that are coming out right now about how, Oh, sorry. You're, you're freezing. Oh, am I? Are you, we good? We're, we're, we're good. We're good on my end. Oh, okay. Yeah, you you may you may experience it on your end where it, it seems that way, but you're still coming through, and I'm still coming through. So, oh, perfect. Um, yeah, the, there's some things that are coming out right now about how uh, you know people that are working on government grants uh, in mm-hmm. in the bio or or uh, medical field, uh, especially uh, when they make discoveries that they're able to patent these discoveries. Yeah when the taxpayers are actually paying for, for the research on all of this stuff. And, uh, we're we're thinking of a couple in general where Fauci, uh, has patented some things on these vaccines that they're trying to push on people now. And, uh, you know, and also Bill Gates, another one who owns patents on, on, uh, some things. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, it's it's such a conflict of interest and I, and and it's, and it's, And it, and this is, this is normal. This is like, this is a standard operating procedure, you know, after the Bidal Act was, uh, put into place mm-hmm. where it allowed you to, you know, a regular person to, you know, or a researcher to patent these things and then profit off of the, uh, what is it called? The royalty, the patent royalties that you get off of them, right? Exactly. So yeah, I mean, you know, if they, if yeah. they were able to, uh, to pass this, uh, you know, they're looking for a vaccine right now for COVID, right? Well, whoever comes up with yeah, the vaccine yeah. and, and, and makes it is going to make billions because everybody, because exactly. everybody's yeah. going to have to take this vaccine. <laughs> so yeah, anyways, yeah. Let, 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 let go back to what you were talking about. I mean, but I mean, it kind of, it's in the same thing. I mean, cause you're, you're in, oh, it is. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's no different from the, the, the medical portion of researching to to your portion of researching because you know what i mean they're all kind of built the same way the bite all act is it's for all researchers and all universities the amount of patents that are coming out of universities right now is crazy it's like five times what it was before the bite all act was actually passed i know and then meanwhile the universities it's still considered a very noble profession because you're not supposed to be you're supposed to be motivated by knowledge right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be motivated by the market but it's not true anymore um it's changing very rapidly and it's just um like in my field we don't have patents we make a lot less money to in social science but it's like you know you know publish or perish Mm -hmm. you're supposed to publish and it I mean, the, the meaning of what you write, like it doesn't really have to be meaningful. You just have to publish a lot and, you know, make little tweaks just to say that your paper is different from the previous paper and then you get that published. But we, you know, like you, you have those um, like seminal texts, like those classic books that people, you know, academics used to write in the past or philosophers. And I'm like, my worry is that, well, People who are literally getting paid to be academics and to be thinking like they're facing so much pressure to publish um, in terms of volumes that what they publish is no longer meaningful. Like it, it also has an expiry date. Like, for example, when I use ref, when I reference other studies in my papers, like I don't really look past 2013 or 2012, like all those old 
papers, it's almost like they don't really count anymore because you're expected to cite very current, current literature. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's changing. Yeah. I don't think it's changing for the better, but We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, so yeah, yeah. continue. Can, sorry, I, I I brought us off into another thing, but it, it's really relevant. No, this is great. It's really relevant to to where we are right now, yeah. though. Um, it is absolutely. And the so and, and here's another thing that that kind of I don't know if if you uh, had listened to this before, uh, but there was these two guys that so social so social sciences right like social justice. That's a mm-hmm. thing now. That's a thing now, right? In college, yeah, social social, justice. social oh, yeah. justice studies, right? Yeah. Well, these guys they they started submitting articles to a prestigious uh, deal, right? And they were just like making up stuff that kind of yeah, they just like made up like silly ass stuff that you know would like you would like I I listened to them like what a dog dog at the dog park. Uh, so they 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 did one where they they said yes the dog at the dog park uh, experienced um, a traumatic sexual assault oh on a, by another dog and then they they start they, no seriously and they started uh, man I wish I knew I I wish I knew what it was so I could direct you to it but it was it was funny right and yeah. they got published mm-hmm. they got published in this journal and it was all because it was it oh it, it it played into something that play that is within social justice yeah within social the social justice world right and it it, it fit right into the narrative so they they allowed it right and then these guys came out later and they were like dude that was so stupid we were drunk and and and, or or you know just playing a game and you know the so it just went to yeah it just went to show that like you know these universities and this this is a bullshit you know nothing Nothing was based in fact, you know what I mean? It, it just sounded good and it played into your narrative. So you published it. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. I want to, I'm going to Google it after this podcast is over because I'm really curious. Yeah. Cause the way your papers get approved for a lot of journals is they send it to academics like you and me, like I'll get an invitation to review and I'm supposed to do my due diligence as a reviewer. But I have, um, I'm not getting paid for this. It doesn't really count for like my promotion or anything. So I can just, you know, like skim the paper and be like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And not really, like you're not, you're supposed to question and question the methods. And, but a lot of people, it's like regular people who get to review these papers. There's not like a paid editorial board for journals, which I mean, they should do that because you think that they're making enough enough money somehow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's crazy how the whole university system works. Um, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, let's get back into uh, your your okay. what, what you wanted to cover. Sorry. No, that's fine. Do you have any specific questions about like I don't know, like something specific? Um, no, not really. Just uh, what you were you you wanted to touch on, uh, you know, a couple of things before I interrupted you. Okay. As far as far as you know, you you had said I can't even remember. Sorry. Okay, sure. So so I had you know I when I reflected like when I reached my bottom, I reflected on two things. One is you know how the hell did I get there? Like how did I go from being like a straight A student all along? 
and then I'm like in an impossible situation and, you know, other things in my life are not going well. And then the other thing is, well, th some tips for like getting, getting out of it. So, you know, I'm thinking like, how, how did I, how did I get there? So, okay. So let's like leaving the life stuff aside, just in the university when, or whenever you're doing creative work, even in a business, like, I don't know if you ever like got feedback on your stuff or but like if you if you don't know who you are and you don't have a clear idea of what you want to do, like people are going to walk all over you. One, that's an option. Option two, they're going to give you advice that's not relevant or that pulls you in different directions and down different rabbit holes. Or three, they just, you know, they just lose faith in you because they don't can't feel like you're a solid person on the inside if you've like if you if you don't have like a clear vision for yourself and like, you don't know what you want it's almost like people don't really take you seriously because they can't trust you mm. that's how that's how I see it basically so so I think that at some point I might have I might have gotten lazy and I'm like well I expect to have an easy like PhD, not that which is like a crazy idea, right? So then I had lost, um, like I had lost that drive that was motivating me in previous years. So what I should have done is I should have, you know, taken a week off or whatever, and just seriously have a conversation with myself and be like, hey, do I want to continue in my program? Or do I need to quit? And is it time to move on? Like, that's what I should have done when I lost, like, my focus. But instead, what I did is I'm like, oh, I'll talk to some professors. Maybe they'll give me an idea. And I can just, like, piggyback on that. And it's going to be really easy. And, you know, I can just get by this way. So that's not the way to do it. <laughs> that's not how, how you're supposed to solve your problems. To, you know, wait for people to take pity on you and, and hand you ideas or whatever. So what I did is, so then I, I came to this realization when I was almost, so like I had a proposal defense and then basically my advisor, I think she convinced the, the whole committee to give me an extension. So she's like, okay, this professor wants to fail you. So you need to switch programs and we're going to give you an extension for you to have a second chance, which was very lucky. Like they didn't have to do that at all. So then that's when I took a step back and I'm like, okay, do I want to do this or not? And the answer was yes. Like, I don't know if I did it for the right reasons, but basically my, my rationale was, well, I already invested 2.5 years into my PhD and it was a total of five years. And I'm like, well, I, I just want to, push through and finish it. So it wasn't like the most, like the best motivation to, you know, I, I, I just wanted to do it just to do it, just to like, you know, because I had already started. It. So I, um, but at, at the same time, I mean, that desire and that specific goal just like gave me a focus again. So then what I did is I took a step back and I'm like, I need to, because I had all these emotions going on in my head because I'm like, oh my God, I'm a failure. 
what if I, what if I don't come up with a research idea and I fail again, you know, what if, um, so I had all these thoughts that were kind of getting in the way of my success. So I realized that I have to, um, like override my brain. Like I really have to shut it, shut it down and do something different. So I did something very simple. I'm like, you know what? I can't control whether I'm going to succeed or not. So I'm not going to worry. Like I, I just put that out there. Like it's not in my control anymore. But what is in my control is taking small steps that will increase the likelihood of my success. So basically what I did is I, I took a piece of paper and I'm like, okay, what are the activities that I need to do on a daily basis that will increase my chances of success? And that was, okay, reading this, this, and this journal, like for an hour, doing this type of research for two hours a day, and then working on uh, research methods for, you know, an hour a day. So it was like, you know, very concrete steps. So then what happened is that not even a week from that day, like I just really like forced myself. I'm like, no, I'm not going to listen to my thoughts. I'm just going to do what I have to do. And if this is not good enough, then it's not, you know what, it's out of my control. So yeah, so not even a week later, I had a really good research idea. It just like once I quieted my mind, it just came up. And then my basically my, my re, I'm not going to go into my research because it's really technical, but long story short, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to research because um, I study the effectiveness of government programs in Mexico. So I'm going to study whether the government program operating alone, like as a government, is more effective than a government partnering with a nonprofit organization. Because you have, in Mexico, you have a lot of nonprofits that act as local partners for the government. So um, the government is trying to promote conservation and it can do it alone or it can partner with a nonprofit. So I'm going to evaluate these two scenarios and see like which one is the best, is the best outcome basically. So that was, um, and that was, you know, original enough to be a really good research topic. And that's what I ended up doing for my, for my research and for my dissertation. And then I passed and now I work as a researcher. Not, not in Mexico anymore though, right? No, that was just my research site. So I would I would travel. Uh, I got grant money to travel to Mexico. So like you know you're you're at Duke, but you still conduct research, and then you you bring it back. But it was really cool because I and then I also insisted on making it really useful for policymakers. So I went to Mexico and presented um, in front of government to see like you know how they can improve their program. So while you were there, did you, uh, you know, because we know, well, we don't know, but we have a good idea how 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 high the uh, the cartels infiltrate the the government oh there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And a lot of and a lot of cart- yeah. and a lot of cartels are masked because they're now they're you can't tell they're 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 so uh, ingrained with legitimate business and. Uh, you know, and, and the illegitimate side of their businesses, you know what I mean? To, to kind of, you know, that's what they've had to do yeah. to get their, their, 
you know, expand their, their, uh, portfolios, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. and so, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff like, you know, uh, like what are they getting involved in now? They're getting involved in avocado farming, right? Mm-hmm. And it's they were cr- involved in that government program too. I mean, yeah. Oh, Ah, that's so crazy. I mean, I have so many stories. I have a few stories. I don't know how much time you have, but oh. I have. So, uh, first of all, I avoided the north of Mexico because that's where the cartels are, you know, the most active. But I, um, I spoke to some landowners on the phone, and to see if the because sometimes the north, you know, you know, if you're careful, you can. Like if you're smart and if you, you can't just go there by yourself. Like you need to talk to people. You need to connect with people like on the street, like at the store and the hotel. And they will um, tell you how to stay safe. But that said, you shouldn't go into a drug dealer, dealer heavy area. Like that's, that's just not smart. But I was, uh, so I was, you know, considering my site for the forest that I wanted to visit in Mexico. And some of them were in the North and some landowners were like, Oh, don't worry. You can come visit us. We'll just tell the cartel to leave you to leave you alone. Well, because we, you know, we know them. So we'll tell the drug dealers to let you pass because you know they they wrote they blocked the roads. Mm-hmm. We'll just like let them know by phone to let you pass and come see us. <laughs> and I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> I mean, also too, I'm you've got to. Yeah, you've 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 got to be concerned too because you're a female. One, you're a beautiful woman. I mean, thank you're you. you're a target. You know what I mean? And and you're not from there. Yeah. You know, and there's a I lot mean, there's there's a yeah. lot of bad stuff that goes on if you're, you know, if you could be useful in the prostitution world and they can, you know Oh gosh. You know, I mean that's Yeah, just, I did not I did not want to do that. I was in one northern city at some point. It wasn't um the cartel was not very active over there in that area at that time. But they had it had been previously, so they had a a very strong legacy. And then I had a friend who said that, I mean, the talk, so talk about drug dealers is part of their, you know, their language and how they, they relate to each other and how they make jokes and compliments. So she said that um, one of the best compliments she ever received was by this man who was courting her. And the man was like, oh, you're so beautiful. I'm surprised they didn't kidnap you already. <laughs> and, then, and she's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's such a compliment. <laughs> that's crazy. I yeah. yeah dude, if I then, were you, I would have been, I would have been like scared. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I didn't stay there for very long. Like that was a mistake. I didn't know like how, um, that was the one city I was in where there was like this presence. They were not there physically anymore, but they had been like just a few months earlier. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the hotels, you know how they have um, like in any hotel, they'll have like emergency steps, like what to do in case of fire, in case of um, earthquake. And then they had uh, what to do in case of assault. Yeah. Like instructions on the wall. Uh-huh. So there, uh, it was like, don't look them in the eye. Do whatever they say. Just like listen to them. Don't don't try to resist. Um, then my favorite was try to escape and call nine one one. Don't resist, but try to get away. Yeah, it's like, but if you can, like whenever you get a chance, call nine one one. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, oh. That's the idea. 
That's just, I mean, when you're from a, when you're from like here, I mean, I, I'm sheltered, right? I, I've never experienced anything yeah, we, other, yeah, we are. other than prison, but I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was, I mean, I, I, nothing compared to anything in a, in a, in a, is that considered a third world country, sort of? Mexico? Mexico? Yeah. It is. Yeah. And a lot of parts are very, very like um, underdeveloped. Yeah. But so, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, like any third world country, I mean, there's a guy that I, I talked to, uh, you know, the inter- I interview his name is uh, Eric Maddox, and he mm-hmm. he goes out to like, uh, you know, Greece, and, you know, he did some stuff at, in Lesbos in Lesbos about the, uh, the, the refugee crisis there, and I'm like, I was like, dude, you're going to places that like, you know, when, when I think about that, it's like, it seems dangerous, yeah. you know, where there's, yeah. you know, war happening in other places, not too not too far away. I just, I couldn't imagine yeah. it, but he goes, you know what? You go to, you go to San Antonio, Texas and right across the border from there is where a lot of cartel, heavy cartel activities happening. And, and that's like, you know, they're killing people in the streets yeah. there. And this was, well, this wasn't any yeah, time yeah. soon, but this was like maybe 10, 15 years ago. And he's like, it, it's yeah. just across the border is, is more dangerous than, than, uh, you know, some of the places that I've been in Greece, yeah, uh, you know? Yeah. So, that's yeah. crazy. Well, I'm glad but you made it out. Don't grow across. <laughs> I'm glad nothing <laughs> bad happened to you. <laughs> yeah, it happened. And I just want to say another thing about why it's so scary right now, the, all the cartels, is that before with like El Chapo and, and everybody, like those big, you know, big names, they had, um, you, you had like the cartels were organized in bigger blocks. And they mainly... They mainly dealt with drugs. But then when all the big heads of, you know, the, the big leaders got put in jail, it started um, like little competitions between the like, you know, like the second level bosses. So then it broke into like little this. It was like very organized, like that crime was very organized. But now it's a lot more disorganized. And they don't just go after, um, they're not just in the drug business. They're also into kidnapping. Like it's a lot more frequent Mm. because they're looking to make a quick buck because no one is in charge anymore. So you can, you know, like get kidnapped like around the corner, you know, for like $10,000. So they do um, like little, like small scale crimes like that. Um, Or if you own a jewelry store, in the north of Mexico, like your family's going to get targeted. And before um, those big leaders would protect their, you know, it was like, it's like the mafia, right? But now you don't really have that anymore. It's a lot more decentralized, which is a lot scarier in my opinion. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, how you're ever going to, how they're ever going to get control of that. I know that we, you know, after that thing happened, uh, you know, in that, uh, uh, with our, with those families got gunned down, uh, on the side of the road there, they were, uh, uh, like, I don't know where they, were they Mormon, like a, like a Mormon group or some sort of a religious group yeah. that they were living yeah. down there. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And somehow, you know, they ended up getting, they, they gunned down and killed a bunch of people and, and women and children, uh, that were yeah. from the United States. And then that's when I think, uh, uh, Trump was talking about, well, we, we need to classify these cartels as terrorists now. So it'll open up a whole thing of how we can deal with them. And then the, 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 the government in Mexico was like, no, 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 you don't, you can't do that. 
And I'm, well, why not? You know what I mean? Is it because you're so ingrained with it that? It, I mean, they are. It, it is terrorism, basically. Yeah. Like it's yeah. You know that yeah. you're you're involved in it. You know, it's just like you know a lot of the things that happen in our own politics that don't get dealt with because if they did, it would come out that, Oh, you were involved. You were involved. You were involved and you were involved. Mm -hmm. So if we just, if we just, you know, sweep it under the rug, then our involvement won't get put out there. And we just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Craziness, craziness, craziness. Um, It's crazy. And I mean, the U S also supports that industry with, with drugs. Well, I mean, it, it was it was it was also said that El Chapo was basically, uh, you know, um, being run by the CIA. So, I mean, he was actually, you know, the like the yeah. CIA is the one who brings over a lot of these drugs to 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 fund like a lot of the black operations that happen on uh, proxy mm-hmm. wars and armies in other yeah, areas. Yeah. And that's how they fund it with, you know, illegal money. And basically, you know, El Chapo was just a, a figurehead or almost like a, 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 a general, uh, mm-hmm. like a, like a, like a, like, a, like if he was his own corporation, he was a, the, the yeah, general distributor, the head mm-hmm. for all of this. And then, you yeah. know, they, they, you know, when they took him down, they, it was, you know, it was, his time was up. So I don't know, man, I don't know a yeah. whole lot about it. I know what I hear from different things that I, I listen to and I, and I read, but I mean, nobody really knows. I mean, who knows, you know? Yeah. Who knows? It's just really frustrating that I'm like, it never um, goes away. Yeah. It's frustrating that it never gets fixed. It never goes away. It just gets worse. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I was um, at a party in Mexico and people were doing cocaine. And I was like, you know, I got offered to do some. And like I had previously spoken to people who um, like in the north of Mexico, you like everybody you speak to has a relative or a friend that got killed by the drug dealers at some point. So I had spoken to them and I just saw like how much like harm they caused to people. And I'm like, no, I can't, I just can't do it. Like it's, it's not, first of all, like I don't really do drugs, but it's, it's more like the moral, like I can't possibly ever, ever do cocaine just knowing what is going on Yeah. in Mexico. Like it's really hard. It would be really hard just like morally to do that. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, everybody likes to party a little bit, but I mean, if I, if I, if, if I go ahead and, and, you know, take this little hit right here, you know, I'm, I'm basically su- saying, okay. And I'm supporting yeah. all of the, the horrendous things that are happening mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. I, you know, crazy. So yeah, I was like, I'm not going to sponsor my, my own kidnapping down the road. <laughs> yeah. That's uh <laughs> I, I always find it interesting when people, you know, travel, uh, and do things in other countries, uh, you know, just because I, I can't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I go to, I've been to Cabo. I'm my, you know, my mom has timeshares there and, uh, she goes yeah. there every year. She didn't go this year and she, she actually, she should be there right now, but she's not. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I've gone there and it, you know, I've, I've done some things while I was in, uh, Cabo where, you know, I went looking for drugs and cocaine. You know, have you ever been to Cabo San Lucas? I haven't. All right. So there's the main strip where all of like, you know, all the, the touristy things go. And then if you go back into the neighborhoods, I mean, they tell you not to do that. Right. Well, yeah, I, I did. 
And, uh, you know, it was like some of the, some of the, the decisions that I made while I was there were pretty silly, you know, considering I'm, I'm not in my own country. And, you know, if you get in trouble in some of these places, I mean, you're American and I, you know, I look like I'm Mexican. I look like I'm Hispanic. Um, but when you talk to me, you're bit, like, yeah. yeah, you're like, um, yeah. oh, well, you're, you're white actually. You don't, you don't, you don't speak like your Spanish. Yeah. You don't, you don't see him once. Yeah. Once. You, yeah. And so, you know, it was, my mom was like, are you crazy? You could go to jail and you'll never get out. They'll never let you out. And I was like, well, I didn't even think about it, you know? So yeah, I got, I got lucky. Um, yeah. definitely while I was there. Uh, but yeah. I haven't been in years. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't, I feel like right now to be a tourist anywhere, uh, outside of the United States is not a safe decision. Yeah, not even Europe anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. So. All right. I mean, well, you can go to Canada. It's still safe. Well, yeah. Well, I can't get into Canada. Well, actually, I, I could probably apply for something because oh, okay. I'm a felon. You know what I mean? And I've had a DUI before. But don't they, have to, don't they have to ask you? If they don't ask you, then. I, I have no idea. I've never even tried to go to Canada. Uh, I, yeah. I just never even thought about it because I'm like, oh, well, I'm a felon now. They're not going to let me in anyway. So I just never bothered to try. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I got a lot of listeners in Canada and I got people that I talk to in Canada, but it'll just yeah. have to be on Zoom for now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That changes. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, we're at 45 minutes here and, uh, need Great. to, need to wrap up. Uh, I, okay. I appreciate your, uh, your, your stories and this is, was a pretty enlightening, uh, episode for me. Uh, you answered some oh, of my questions. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, maybe we can, uh, talk again about some of these other things that, uh, you want to, uh, get into at some point down the sure. road. You know, if you yeah, want, yeah, absolutely, I would love that. Yeah, if you want to come back and be a guest again, uh, you know, maybe we can talk. You know, figure out something else that'll line up in 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 some of that area. Yeah, I mean, just like I applied rules to my for getting out of my PhD, I also apply rules like in my dating life mm-hmm. for not making the same mistakes I made when I married my ex. So I would love to talk about that at some point in the future. No, for sure. We can definitely get into that because I'm a single guy and I had to figure out the same thing. You know, you have to. Oh, uh, yeah. And it, yeah. And it sounds like what you were talking about is just simply living with intention. You know what I mean? Yes. And having intention with what you're going to do, have it mapped out what you want. That way mm-hmm. you don't get sidetracked by, by, you know, things that you don't want. And in dating, it's really easy to get sidetracked uh, with yeah. lust, yeah, it, with all the lust and love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Confusing the two. A lot of the times we end up with somebody that, you know, is great in bed sexually. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, women, they get the oxytocin kick in and, you know, the the, the hormones and the chemicals get going in your brain. You're like, oh, yes, I this is, you know, I love it. And, 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 and then you yeah. end up with the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, I know, because it's really hard to follow, like, your own, like, code of ethics or your own, like, you know, life purpose when you're in a relationship, when all these emotions. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely uh for another, another episode. And we will talk about that and I'll, I'll, I'll get with you cool. on that. Um, I know you, you don't really, you know, have any social media or anything that you want to plug unless, unless you do, you don't have to, uh, if you want to drop your Instagram or, or whatever, or if you, you just have to say, no, nope, I'm just here to, I'm just here to, to talk, you know? I mean, I am, I'm just here to talk. I'm a researcher. Right now, so I have nothing to plug as a researcher, but I am transitioning to making my own jewelry 
and writing on topics like inner beauty. So I don't have um, a business yet, but people can follow me on Instagram. And my Instagram handle is at Berksandra333. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I could spell that. It's R-U-X-A-N-D-R-A-333. And I'll throw it in the show notes. Don't have the most common first name. Yeah, no, I, uh, Rexandra. I, I like it. I like your name. Thank you. Yeah, I'll I'll put that in the show notes as well. So yeah, if you want to find if you want to find Rexandra, uh, just go to the show notes. That'll be there. Uh, <laughs> okay. I want I want to uh, you know thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, it was very interesting. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we will talk again. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved. To connect to the show, book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.